0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Samuel Adams Returns. Those Anti-Federalists, they absolutely got it correct. And this is Tom Navola, your host. And today, I am really excited. I have a guest author today that uh, I found him through a mutual friend, Dr. Mike Spaulding. And uh, when I started asking Mike a little bit about Patrick, he goes, you know what? Just get him on the program. That's all you need to do is get him on the program. I go, oh, wow. So... The reason we're doing this is because Patrick did a book, and I'm going to hold it up. I don't know if you're going to see it, but uh, this is, his let's see, you co-authored a book uh, prior to this one, but this one's called uh, Darkened Pulpits. Darkened Pulpits, folks. And I am telling you, it was one of the books that uh, usually I'm a multitasker, as many of you know, and I read about four or five books at one time, but this is one book I just grabbed onto, and could not put down, and nor should you. So we'll get more into that, but uh just a little bit here, as uh, Patrick comes online, is that, uh, as I mentioned, uh, he is uh, authored as well, and I'm going to let him introduce himself in a moment, but uh, he's been involved uh, in a lot of very instrumental thinking that's going to stretch your mind, especially as a believer across the many of the denominations as we get into a topic that what is going on with dark and pulpits. You hear me talk about that so often, probably for the last 25 years. So uh, with that, Patrick, uh, introduce yourself, give us a little bit of a background bio, and then I want to jump into uh, this book. It's exciting.
1: Well, thanks for having me on, Tom. I appreciate this. Um, The topics we'll be talking about tonight are um, things that people need to be understanding, and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. But my name is Patrick Wyatt and you spell that W-Y-E-T-T. I don't have an easy last name to spell like yours, Tom. You know, mine has the E in there. So, <laughs> uh, so um, I, I'm a former overseas defense contractor. I've done some different things in my life. That's one of the interesting things. Another thing is I, I ran for public office. That wasn't in my bio back when I lived in Missouri. So uh, I've been in the political realm as well, not successfully, but I've been in there. Um, so I've always had a, a, an interest in writing. So I'm a researcher, writer, and speaker, Christian, of course. And I, I when I got back from uh, my overseas work, I noticed how America had been changing, and it kind of prompted me to want to start writing in that area. So I started writing articles. Those started going on different websites and going around the world. And then, of course, um, there was a, a sermon at my church in 2017, and it was a social justice sermon right from the pulpit. So that kind of really zeroed go. in. I, I wrote an article there. And, uh, and then kind of as I was thinking on it, I thought there needs to be more about this because this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, the genesis of thought of writing a book came into being and uh, I've been, we started doing some podcasting. So I've done some of that as well. Um, maybe not the extent that you have, Tom, but uh, I, I've, I've been around the block a couple of times. So started writing and then working on this book and then started meeting people and uh, Dr. Mike being one of them, thank God. Um, and then uh, things have just kind of kept going from there. The Lord has a plan. And uh, this book is the end result of, of the plan for me right now.
0: Amen. I, I just really appreciate the, that because uh, like you, after a number of different military Tours and places that I had been, uh, I came home and just shook my head at what's going on out there and what's happening here. And then, as I started looking at what's happening in the churches and then the whole historical perspective. So, there's some parallels there if if we can. Uh, But that the whole idea of social justice. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that captured me in your book right off the bat is you started looking at the history of the church in a number of different ways. And one of the uh, instances where I like to start in where the church started going uh, downhill, uh, in my opinion, is in the 1700s, actually. You bring it closer forward. But as you well know, when you start looking at when did Unitarianism come in, Universalism come in that started approaching Harvard and that right in that mid-1700 period as well. So that's interesting. And then you just have captured and talk a little bit about why you wanted to capture the history of the church and then we'll get into more because we we still have about the good 30 plus minutes on, What's the social justice thing in these pulpits, what's going on? So give me a little bit more on that history of church as you've studied it. Well, the
1: history is important to know because the ideas we're seeing today do have a history to them. And people Mm -hmm. don't understand history. So they think, well, this idea must be as it's being presented to me because this trusted figure, this pastor is telling me this. And who am I to disagree with that person? So to take you back to the start of these ideas and their foundations and who the people were and using their own quotes and writings to describe themselves, rather than me give you my opinion, let them describe themselves. So you see who these people were, what they believed. And then you see, we take you across from the Enlightenment and bring you forward to the current day, Mm -hmm. showing you how step by step, incrementally, these ideas started gaining weight and substance in the church. So Satan always has a plan. So with these ideas coming forward, you know, it's hard to say, well, social justice, because some people will tell you, well, social justice is a good thing. It's well intended. And you said, Mm -hmm. do you understand the liberal slash Marxist background of social justice? And yet, this is an actual plan that they've had in place for a while. In fact, the communists have been doing or the Marxist communists specifically this idea of divide and conquer. So yes. this idea of division that we're seeing today in the church, now they don't label it like what the Marxist would. They don't say oppressor versus oppressed specifically. Mm-hmm. They'll say other things, but it's the same deal. And they take it where it used to be economic classes. Now it's all classes. And the communists knew, and Satan knows, that the thing that kept this country together and actually kept the world together was Western civilization and its Christian background. Correct. If you could destroy that thing, that one thing, you take the glue out of what holds everything together.
0: And I like the way that you even brought in Gramsci. And as you said, folks, you got to understand that Patrick has done as he says he is well researched, and in using not only uh, the quotes of all the actors, be they as he's indicating, socialists, Marxists, communist authors but we'll talk about it more in the next couple of segments that of those head leading uh, churchmen as well. And, uh, and even the cemeteries, I mean, seminaries that are out there and, and what they're all about uh, in some of that. But when we look at that church history, Uh, that's what I appreciate as you're bringing that up and when the enlightenment, and to me, that was the downfall of Madison as well as uh, Jefferson and bringing in so many of the enlightenment thinkers and their own thoughts uh, into education at that time. I know, tell me a little bit as you're you're looking at that. So it happened and I inferred about the cemeteries that uh, the educational system, uh, it really started uh, taking a nosedive early as I indicated with Madison as well as Jefferson, and then we saw it impacting within the context of uh, churches, pulpits. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that, because you covered that in your book?
1: Yeah, so all right, of course, our education system before even the founding of our nation was Christian. We had the Mm -hmm. McGuffey Readers, we had the Blueback Spellers, we had uh, the New England Primer. These were all Christian-based educational materials. So young people growing up in America would become familiar with the Bible simply from their education. Mm-hmm. That's before government started taking over and had better ideas, right? <laughs> so, so the people that knew the the change agents as you as as they were put into effect, as they thought, how do we start turning this nation away from the Bible? How do we get into the churches? I mean, it, it's a pretty daunting task when you figure. Um, the, the depth of faith we used to have in this country at our founding and before our founding. So what they decided is, we're going to start slowly putting ourselves into the education system, we're going to start infiltrating the churches. Now this became a lot more uh, predominant attacking the seminaries, it became especially Rockefeller money, started going into seminaries, and John D. Rockefeller, very wealthy man, he had definite ideas on this ecumenicalism and this globalism. So this, mm-hmm. this global idea has been around for quite some time, and we know how it actually ends up in Revelation chapter 13. Right. But, but there has to be logistics and there has to be planning, which shows Satan and his multi-generational thought processes always has people in place to do his bidding. So mm-hmm. when, when we had the seminary start getting infiltrated, so when, when the socialists at the turn of last century Said we have limited funds. Where do we really want to put our people? Where do we want to put our efforts? And they decided it was in the education system. So these secular things started infiltrating into the education system at the secular level. But they also started infiltrating the institutions, seminaries, Bible colleges that would produce tomorrow's pastors. Right. So you have a diametrically expanding effect. Your, your money's really well spent when you can start putting professors into these institutes to start teaching Marxism as Christianity, start teaching liberalism, the modernist movement we talk about in the book as well. Mm-hmm. So you have these two different movements, liberalism and Marxism, which are actually partners moving through time and doing their parts in this process of turning our education system uh, in the public and then, of course, that's starting to affect government. These, these same sources are now starting to buy media outlets. So they're influencing our opinions through the radio at the time, through the newspapers. And then TV came on the scene. So we have a complete dominating process today where this is basically one large propaganda unit that functions. You know, It's intertwined. It works yeah, together.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, the, may, May, I, I, what I love about uh, what you've done is that uh, I haven't had time to put a book together <laughs> other than the couple <laughs> little things that I've done. But uh, the research, and then in addition to that, what I greatly appreciate is the way that you bring uh, scripture, biblical truth right in and hammer it as continuous nails in the coffins of the lies and the deceit and destruction of the enemy. And those are the two tie points that many people leave out uh, when they write a book like this or try and present that information is trying to take in, oh, here's all of this and this is what you hear out there, but here's the truth, the substance of it. That is the counterpoints uh, that we need to be prepared with. So I really appreciate that. So let's get to a question here is we got about three minutes left in this uh, segment, is, so what, what is it that you look at, and where did you get your definition and idea of uh, social justice in relationship to Christianity, or not?
1: Yeah, yeah. and that's the, the question of the church, isn't it? Is it a Christian idea? And of course, as we've been talking, it's not a Christian idea. So when you look at social justice, what is social justice? Mm-hmm. It's not a single issue. It's a multitude of, of false teachings and political agenda ideas wrapped together under the banner of social justice. So it's actually, it's it's got a a political aspect to it, and it also has a spiritual aspect to it. So social justice is what we see in society today. Pretty much everything you see happening right now, social justice is trying to move the world into a one world order, a new world order, a great reset, as, as it's being called variously. So, it does, it has a definite purpose. That's on the political side. On the spiritual side, it is to eradicate true Christianity, Mm -hmm. to to get us off in different ideas and let's do this or let's do that, to take us away from the Bible and gear us more towards men's ideology. Mm -hmm. So, when you look at it and you break it down, Satan's enemy has always been God, right? Or at least since he fell. And so, his idea is to always try to he sees the bigger picture better than we do. We get caught up in some of our little squabbles and stuff. He realizes the only thing that's a value in this world is souls, individual souls. Mm -hmm. If he can take somebody that's a saved person, if he can deceive them, he can make them impotent. And if Mm -hmm. he can keep all the unbelievers unbelieving, keeping them distracted and off on these different social justice ideas, then those are souls that are not going to be going to heaven. So we always have to keep in mind that this is a spiritual battle above all things. And it's always been a spiritual battle.
0: So, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. And, and and that becomes, you know, all the key elements is what is it, you know, as we see, you know, through humanism and all of that in this last minute, I'll just kind of wrap it. But as we come back, folks, you got to really understand that what we're going to get into is looking at some of the modern ideas of the implementation of social justice in the emergent churches and a whole actually Patrick will go through in the next segment this whole list of uh, church organizations uh, that are out there and some interesting players that help uh, define that. But just to to wrap that point up is that Satan uh, understands he's defeated. Well, not really, because he keeps acting the way he does. But there's that purpose, because God said he had his purposes and still... Uh, allowing the devil to be free at this point in time. But the encouragement for all of us is that, you know, Jesus is sitting on the throne. And with that, you know, he's sovereign. We have to look at that. And that's something that Sam Adams understood. And we're going to come back into the next segment with Samuel Adams Returns. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this second segment of Samuel Adams' return, and I have my fantastic guest that I just really have been getting to know via email, phone calls, and reading his book. Is Patrick Wyatt with a double T, as he says it? Yes. Yeah, so And an E! That makes it even easier. I got two E's, but it's not the spelling, it's the pronunciation that gets everybody messed up. So there you go. And we're having fun, but we're talking about something extremely serious that has moved into the church, and it hasn't been just a new thing. This has been uh, a 100-plus years, and as we talked about in the first segment, if you really look at it, it comes in from what was going on even in the late 1600s, mid-1700s, as the Harvard was being uh, already influenced with universalism and Unitarianism, and then the progressions of that continued to move forward, as Patrick was mentioning, through the Enlightenment and what was going on in education, and so far, well, what we're talking about is uh, Patrick's book, "The uh, Darkened Pulpits: The History," and I love this. Hirelings of social justice—the hirelings. What, what, what? What do you mean by the hirelings? You know, we look at the halflings, you know, from Tolkien, but what are the hirelings uh, here in this idea of darkened pulpits?
1: Well, you know, when you look at the history, of course, you're looking at the secular history, and that would also encompass the the history that as it's infiltrated the churches. But hireling is a biblical word. Mm -hmm. And it's always important when we're looking at it, we're saying something's false. What is the standard of truth we need to put forward? And that, that standard of truth is the Bible. So we always compare what we're saying to the Bible. Does this fit with the Bible or is it opposing the Bible? So a hireling, Jesus himself talked about a hireling, is somebody posing as a shepherd or somebody that should be the pastor to church, but they don't care about the sheep. They care about themselves. And maybe, Mm -hmm. as I mentioned in the book, maybe they're even working for the wolf, you know, instead of the, the, you know, and some of them are, in fact, a lot of them are, a lot of big names. Um, So it's about their glory and not God's glory. And we are here to proclaim the glory of God and the truth. So um, that's, that's, I thought I would put that in there. So you would notice, and you did um, not just the history of social justice. So I'm, I'm talking about the secular part, but also, the hirelings within the church that are spreading it.
0: So let's continue on that, because we kind of teased the folks in the end of the first segment with it, is that, so when we look at the hirelings, we we can look at those that were, uh, gosh, that that were big-name people that Mm -hmm. uh, proclaimed themselves as uh, Christians. I mean, who's this Norman Vincent somebody, you know, Peter? I, I know I knew you'd finish it for me and and then there's this Peter somebody uh who was a business consultant and uh, Mr. Drucker yeah yeah now now wait a minute and then you mentioned earlier also that that other uh billionaire character that was a strong Presbyterian here in the Cleveland area and uh you know that whole family there and and my goodness, it's
1: doing well financially.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but their mindsets became so perverse that they were able to twist the truth. So, just with those as some of the lead characters, as well as you know, as you mentioned already, Marxism and the socialism and some of those, but. Those were names that I think a lot of people could recognize, but I know that you can bring in some of the other names that are some of the early church leaders that began to bring the concepts of social justice in. So why don't you go ahead and free, free for all it. Go for it.
1: Well, the prior incarnation of what we call social justice today—you go back to what was called the social gospel. Mm-hmm. The social gospel was brought in by a fellow named Walter Rauschenbusch. Yes, and Walter Rauschenbusch kind of—he got hooked up with the uh, Fabians, the Fabian Socialist Society—that yep. had started up in the late 1800s over in England. we went on a sabbatical over that area because he's going deaf in one ear. He hooked up with these people. Now he had a, a, an actual compassion for the immigrants that were in the country, legal immigrants, by the way, Yes. were here and they were not living well. They were living in squalor. The industrial revolution had started. And so he did have a genuine compassion for them. But Mr. And Bush had been corrupted by Rockefeller funding, which when you take people's money like this, you also take their philosophies. And that's the way it works in the world today. He, he who pays the piper calls the tunes. Right. So Bush got hooked up with the Fabian socialists, came back to America with a more Marxist mindset now and a collectivist idea of salvation. Walter Rauschenbusch put forth the social gospel, and the social gospel um, was was telling people at the time that we as Christians need to make society a better place. Does that sound familiar? But not by Christian standards necessarily, or by these Marxist egalitarian standards, equality for all regardless of effort, we, mm-hmm. want, uh, egal- we want equal outcomes, not necessarily equal opportunity. So he mixed all these sorts of things in there. When he died in 1918, right after World War I, um, the man was kind of pushed to a guy named Harry Ward, Harry F. Ward. And in fact, is you know Harry Ward. Oh, go
0: very well. Yes, yes. I I've talked about that whole segment, Harry Ward, all of the, you know, the, all the other fun people during that period of time. So please go on because it, it it's fresh for my listeners to not hear it from me and get it fresh from you.
1: Okay. Well, <laughs> whereas um, Walter Rauschenbusch was a, was a socialist. Ward was more of a hardcore communist. Mm-hmm. So he took the social gospel and he moved it forward. But the people found out after World War I, the promise of a utopia brought about by the social gospel, the world wasn't getting to be a better place. That was what the promise was. They go, we just had World War I. Then we started moving into the depression and here comes World War II. So social gospel kind of got a, a stench to it. So they changed the name a little bit. Satan's always recalibrating, just oh, yeah. like we used to have global cooling. Then we had global warming now we got climate change just kind of keep recycling these ideas but puts a different face on them so when when we came in from social gospel and that wasn't really working anymore they came up with social action Mm -hmm. so social now we need to be active and you know we need to be spreading this and and doing that all these good works again neglecting who jesus christ is and and what what he came for him being a savior putting it on our own works and doing these different good deeds but taking away from God in the Bible and put it more in men's philosophies. And of course the philosophy was Marxist philosophy underlying right. all this right. at the same time, you know, we had the modernist movement coming through. We had the Harry Emerson Fosdick who was an associate of Harry Ward's. So while you had uh, Harry Ward and you had Walter Russian Bush kind of on the political side of things more. So you had this guy, he's just, he's just a, a liberal Protestant modernist guy and uh, a favorite of john rockefeller john d rockefeller mm-hmm. so you had them hitting at both levels you had them hitting societally and politically and you can now have them going religiously so they're working in tandem these guys yeah. and they're moving forward and you know, of course what was social action then would become what we know today is social justice it's just been a kind of a, a transforming metamorphosizing thing as different things get accomplished and different ages come and different decades come and different generations come the the storyline or the narrative keeps getting adapted to the current age so here we are today is it moved through the church moved through the norm of Vincent peels who actually used television moved through the peter druckers in the business model church now, this is the idea that most churches follow, at least the big ones today.
0: Yeah, so and- talk about that. Yeah, the 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 big churches, the business models. And, I mean, you actually uh, have some well-documented uh, information on some of the, the big names out there. I mean, you know, what's that one guy? His name begins with a W and last name and then, you know, a few others out there. Um, yeah, because I think that's important. And, and also... Uh, talk about how that ties into these these secret churches and worship and all of that because people miss that component uh especially within the church community of what is worship and how the social justice because i'll tell you i went to something someplace that somebody invited us to and i couldn't believe what i was seeing and as you state on the stage so uh tie that together with some of the the corporatists church activities that, that what is that business model
1: well peter drucker he saw the um the rise of communism in europe he was born in austria um he went to the frankfurt school which you probably no doubt talked about on your show before mm-hmm. the frankfurt school got imported over here and that's where a lot of our problems really took off when they really started infusing uh, these uh, neo-Marxist thinking into mainstream society. Mm -hmm. But Drucker, a product coming through there, saw religion as valuable as a concept. That a decaying society he saw Europe fall apart and he thought it was a lack of belief. So he thought religion was important, the specifics of religion not being important, just the concept of religion. So this would be the thing he thought could save societies was an idea of religion. So let's let's kind of form the church now not on a biblical idea, not on the, the teachings of Jesus Christ and and then the the doctrines that came after with the apostles spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's actually start building a church based on a business model. So we now have leaders and that sort of thing. We want the big productions. We want to draw in people and entertain them because people like to be entertained. Oh, so yeah. let's bring them in and let's put on like rock concerts or country, whatever whatever it is in that area, let's put that on a stage. Let's, let's kind of be more relaxed towards the world. Let's look like the world to bring the world in. And that's what that's they started doing. And they found out, and they were right, that it, is, it draws people and it brings in money. Now, oh, I know money doesn't make the world go around. Nobody loves money. But there are those few. And, so, <laughs> so, and then people like Norman Vincent Peale, this Norman Vincent Peale, started this idea he started showing that you could use mass media the emerging television that you could use these things to get your name brand out and he right. became very popular and started making a pretty good deal of money and he became famous a lot of people like fame and fortune not just the folks in hollywood we got a lot of these actors on stages and churches now and they yeah. are stages. and yeah. so and then that moved forward to robert shuler you probably remember robert shuler in the crystal cathedral shuler kind of took that model and went a step further he had a, a tv program well, Drucker was watching all this and he said, that's it. That's the model we want to do. We want to emulate that, but I'm going to bring my business acumen. And he was a good businessman. Yes. This model. And we're really going to franchise this thing and we're going to take off. There were three people he worked with. One was that guy at the last name of W, Rick Warren. Yep. The other was um, Bill Hybels out of the Illinois area, Chicago, I believe. And then there was a guy behind the scenes named Bob Buford. These were known as the Druckerites. And these three guys through Drucker. They, they really transformed how we do church today. And uh, it's, it's apparent in most churches. You have multimedia outreaches, you have uh, very slick productions, uh, professional quality music, that sort of thing going on in these churches. And they bring people in and they entertain them, and then they'll give them a little pep talk there, not usually a sermon. They call it a sermon, but it's not as biblical related as it is moving with an idea. And of course, the, the popular idea, because it's taught in the education system has been, it's proclaimed by media, it's in government, it's everywhere you look is this concept, these overarching ideas of social justice. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and one of the things that I captured right away is do church. Uh, that You hear that so often, especially with a lot of young people, oh, we're going to go do church. And church. it's like, wait a minute, you know, we're go- what about worshiping uh, the living God? First off, they don't remember that's a living God, and all of those people that you mentioned earlier—that's uh, the big point that they miss—is because they have that, uh, that that idea, that image, or that falsehood of "oh yeah, God," but they don't know who the living God really is. So uh, that's part and parcel to the dilemma in hand. So now we have here in uh, about another minute. Why don't you take and just uh, knock on? Uh, where that's gone into from the entertainment phase and all of that, that's even reached down into smaller types of congregations that aren't emulating the, the megachurch uh, business model, but they are uh, in the, the context of not teaching biblical truth.
1: Well, again, that goes back to the seminaries. What are the seminaries teaching? So there's pastors that are graduating from some of these seminaries that are accredited through the ATS. Um, this is the accrediting organization. 272 seminaries. You have to be basically social justice oriented. They work with Black Lives Matter. They talk about that on their website. Mm-hmm. So this is the pastors getting this, and they're being told by these venerable uh, professors, been in, in an office, you know, in the school for 30 years, these different things. And if you're thinking, well, who am I to ask that guy, you know, a question? He's telling me this. This must be true. Who am I? I'm just a student. Right. So this is where the church is at right now, and and we a lot of people have never sit in a church other than that and that's the thing they don't know any better and so here we are trying to explain to them there is something else that's called a biblical church not what you've seen but it's so foreign to them in their thinking because they've not experienced that
0: correct so that's you know really what the it gets back to uh what was it when we looked at the foundational period and when i look at also the transition where sam adams he sat in what they called congregational churches But as you may know, one of his monikers was The Last Puritan because he held true to those biblical values and everything he did. So come on back in the next segment. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this final segment of Samuel Adams Returns. Those anti-federalists, they did, they got it right. This is Tom Novolos, your host, and with my wonderful guest, Patrick Wyatt, and we're digging into social justice. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Patrick's done a great book and we're going to right now, Patrick, tell us about the book, uh, where to get it, how much it is. And then we're going to try, if I remember in the last two minutes, we'll close out with that. So, uh, you're in pre-release right now, or you tell us instead of me trying to fudge it.
1: Yeah, so we're in pre release right now. The book will be available at lampstandoftruthpublishing.com. Okay. So, lampstandoftruthpublishing, just the way it sounds, those words, dot com. Um, you can contact me if you need to, to you know, I have questions. Um, my name is, or my email is Patrick Wyatt at gmail.com. That's W Y E T T. So, go to com go in there and and subscribe to our newsletter. That will give you a reminder. So pre-orders actually start February the 7th. Good. And then February the 21st, we will actually start, the the book will launch or it will be on sale then. But when you go in and you get into the pre-order sign, you get 20% off the covers. We offer two different types. We offer both a hardcover and we offer a soft cover as well. So... Um, what you've got, Tom, is you've got the uh, advanced reader copy right. and uh, I've uh, talked to some people and, and got some feedback and found a couple of minor like uh, spelling mistake or transposed words. We fixed those in there. It's the same length of book. I think it's a better quality book, though. But, you know, listen to feedback and kind of touching some things up. But uh, in sure. essence, you got the book right there.
0: Good. Oh, so that that people notice, you see all the little white marks in here and all of that there, and the little white marks there in the bottom and all of that. So you know, I didn't read this thing or you know tag it up any, and that's because, folks, what I found was you know the various important segments in here, and and I I just don't want to you know go through it, but uh, I think you didn't interesting dive uh, once again into the people as uh, we look at them I'll let you dig on that but I but I, because I love about what you're talking about from the seminary point of view but also you even look at even like neo calvinism and oh that that's a guy that I've had questions about and questioned those who Know him and actually have debated him. This guy, this Piper character. I mean, is he the Pied Piper or or what? But you brought yeah. out a piece of interesting information that I did not find in his background until I read the book about what what type of Christianity is that? Hedonistic or what in the world was that about? Very interesting.
1: Well, that's just okay. shtick, isn't it? I mean, money. Uh, yeah. Hedonism, a, a concept that you could take a, a purely secular concept of pleasure-seeking, slap Christian in front of it, and now you've got a new following. And, of course, he's popular.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the thing that set me off on him was when he brought out—we're going to talk—I'm going to uh, ping you about the Christian Coalition as well, but the—, the Gospel the, Coalition? Yeah, them, those folks, the Gospel Coalition. But, but with Piper, he set me off a few years ago when he came out with his Calvinism 2.0. So I don't know if you're familiar with all of that. Well, folks, we had a technical glitch on my end. So we're jumping back and And we were talking about John Piper and we were talking about some of these other big names and also uh, this coalition. At least I was. Uh, and now I'm going to give uh, Patrick the opportunity to go ahead and respond to that about—we uh, talked about the the Christian hedonism, pleasure-seeking, but then, you know, I brought in about what was Calvinism 2.0, and then how is Piper and this whole coalition tied, and what's happening with that? Because we've seen some of those key players in that, especially as it was coming out of uh, the uh, Southern Baptist Conference— Really pushing the social and still still pushing social justice. And we have a a, a Baptist megachurch here. Uh, Alistair Begg is the pastor of it, and he's tied right in uh, with that whole group. So it's interesting.
1: Well, you'll notice a lot of these people, like John Piper, is a member of the Gospel Coalition. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you have these other people that are both members of the Gospel Coalition and Southern Baptist Convention. You have some people that are members of that in addition to the Acton Institute. But So you see all this intertwining of all these people, all these different organizations. They're rowing or pushing the same direction. They got their own little parts of it. But they are, you've got all these people. And they're, the thing is, they're program, or platforming each other. So, they keep each other out in front of the public on their own. Yeah. And it just keeps going and going. And they're, oh, this guy, you know, he's got a great book. Well, you notice none of those guys endorse my book. Of course, they don't even know what's out there, um, but I know about them. And that's maybe they will know it sometime. I didn't do it for that reason. I did it to get people the information on what they need to know. A few years ago, it's probably been three years ago now, a gentleman contacted uh, me and he said, look, you're doing some stuff on social justice. I read your article. Is there a handbook or something that I could get? Because I'm going through this in my church, and I want to show this to my pastor, and I want to show this to the like the district superintendent. They need to know what social justice is, because I don't know that they do. And at the time, I there's nothing really I could recommend other than right. some of the stuff that we put out. Um, but now I do, and that's why this book came out. It, it impressed on me at the time that a uh, real deep background information is needed, so you will fully understand what this this phenomenon called social justice is and why it's so
0: dangerous to both the church, but to us individually as Christians. Absolutely, and you know one of the things when you mention the Acton uh, Institute, the interesting thing is that you know that's uh, what predominantly Roman Catholic or Catholic in in uh, name. Yeah. yeah so so when you think about that, this is important too, for you know, any of our uh, Catholic friends that are out there that's been inundated, especially with this present Pope who is a flat-out communist. and what's interesting is that you bring out Francis's background, you know, from his origins, his namesake, or his original name, and then his taken name. And you know you're seeing, everything that from one of the largest religious organizations that are out there, what they're pushing and it crosses that whole spectrum. So uh, why don't you wrap into that a little bit tighter on yeah. uh, acting and what's happening, what happened with the Catholicism from that whole South American uh social gospel inundation because it affected South America's a mess. I used to be in South America for a lot of different reasons uh in one of my past lives. And the things I saw there because of uh the perversions in the Catholicism down there and their social nonsense. So I'll shut up on that one. Go for it.
1: <laughs> well so with the Catholic Church being predominant in South America, um the Marxists got into that and they they pushed what's called liberation theology down there. Bingo. So yeah, in in liberation theology, it caught on to young Pope Francis or Bergoglio, I believe is his last name. Correct. And he was he was kind of, he was sucked into this. And I have a little portion of the book that talks about that. So he grew up with a Marxist mindset. And you can see that today in the church. Now the church has been going downhill for quite some time. Right. Um, and, and you can look at some of the machinations going on behind scenes there, but he is a preeminent pusher in the international scale of both social justice and interfaith dialogue. Mm-hmm. He has really made some overtures to allow Islam to come in. And, and we're told that at the end of the of our age that there will be a one world religion. It will be an ecumenical religion. So it will be a melding of all these false religions and all these pl- liberal Christianity will have its place there, <laughs> but actual Christianity will not. We are the enemies of, of this movement. So we have to look at that it this way too. We are the enemy of this movement. We also have to understand that God is on our side. So Amen. don't think Goliath's so big. David, he looked pretty big to Goliath looked big to David. Um God's a lot bigger than Goliath to these guys. So th- that's that's where that portion's going. And they keep, again, it's, it's a shifting thing. And these guys are all supporting each other. And they have a lot more money than you and I do. They have a lot more viewership than you and I do. And they're trying to hold on to it desperately. We are trying to get people to open their eyes to what's actually going on. I, I just wanted to throw in, I've had some feedback on my book. One I really appreciated was from a liberal fellow and he took the time to write it. So I appreciate that. And the point that came across to me is he didn't like some of the things in this book. The point here I want to get across to our listeners is you may not like it because of your political bias or whatever reason. There may be some sacred cow that I end up goring, and I I don't do it on purpose, but I I have to give you the truth. The question you need to ask yourself is, I don't like it, but is it true? I love that. If it's not true, then I need to know about it. I need to know why I went wrong, because I didn't come in. I just want to tell you what I researched and connected the dots. If you don't like it, but it's true, then the problem's not with the book. And that should be something you take up with the Lord. And
0: and what I like is right at the beginning is that that's what you talk about, truth. And and you really try and define that and what does it mean and all of that. We're, We're down to just about the last four minutes. What is it that you want as the, the readers of the book, the outcome of uh, personal faith, uh, understanding that biblical truth and how in love to take that within their pastors, congregations of uh, friends, family, and everything else on this whole idea of, of what social justice is doing to destroy families as much as it is uh, to everything else that we talked about from Christianity to culture?
1: Well, yeah, the first thing is, as Christians, the, the spiritual battle that we're fighting, first of all, takes place inside of us. We have to make sure this one's taken care of before we can be effective in anything else. And that means we have to be in the word of God every day, not reading other people's books. I mean, mine notwithstanding, I got a lot of Bible verses in there, but the Bible is right. more important than my book that I wrote. That's right. So we want to spend our time there. We also want to spend our time praying to God, and we want to pray to him whatever time of the day you need to. You know, It doesn't have to be a formal thing, but, but stay in communication. Walk close to God. Rely on the Holy Spirit that indwells us to be our discerner and our teacher and give us these things that we need to know and give us the courage to move forward and then realize the way we do it too. We're talking to lost people. In some instances, we're talking to deceived people in others. They don't know any better. We need to keep that in mind. Don't be vindictive with them. Try to be gentle with them. Try to be persuasive. Try to show them what we're talking about. Don't make allegations. Say, well, here, here's, here's what this is right here. Whatever we're talking about right now. If you're reaching out to a lost person, Let's not talk about necessarily a specific sin that may be on your mind. Let's talk to them about their need for a savior.
0: Right. Absolutely. Uh, excellent. So why don't you take a, another minute or so, because we're in that two-minute wrap time. Go ahead and okay. talk about, once again, as we began this segment, uh, where to get the book, uh, where, where you think the, the pricing is going to be, uh, how to contact you, uh, where to hear your podcasts.
1: Okay. So the the site that I'm going to be, I haven't got the podcast up and going yet, but lampstandoftruthpublishing.com, lampstandoftruthpublishing.com is where you can find my book. It will not be on Amazon. Amazon has certain editorial policies and there have been books bounced off there because they disagreed with what the content of the book was. If I'm going to write the truth, I have to write the whole unadulterated truth. I cannot let a leftist source or somebody else tell me what I can and can't write. So I made a, a specific decision not to make it available there. Will it hurt myself? Maybe, but I think the Lord's in this. And we're, right now we're finding out a lot of word of mouth. When you read the book, a lot of people are wanting extra copies now. So that's encouraging to me. So my, my, if you want to contact me personally is, is the author um, Patrick Wyatt, W Y E T T at gmail.com. So the price of the book, the paperback is twenty one ninety seven, but 20% off at $17.58 plus shipping. The hardcover is $29.97. That comes in at around $23, $23.97 with the 20% off. So you want to go to lambstandertruthpublishing.com. You can't order the book yet, but you can subscribe to the newsletter and then we will let you know when it starts, which is February 7th. You can start ordering.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Patrick. And it's been a delight having you on the program. Ladies and gentlemen, I highly recommend the book. Uh, As I indicated to you before, I have taken and marked, I, I, I usually mark everything up, but I didn't this time because my wife wants to read it next. So that's why I have all the little <laughs> tag marks in there. But folks, remember that Sam Adams knew the truth. He preached the truth. He implemented the truth. He lived the gospel in every way that he possibly could, and those anti-federalists got it right, so come on back next week. I just wanted to finish out for this last one minute in that Patrick, his book was just phenomenal to read. And in that, it's just important from my perspective that Christians in particular learn what social justice has been doing. And that's a lot of the predominant names and seminaries and just the folks that are out there are actually the ones that are bringing the destruction not only from a geopolitical perspective, a cultural perspective, but also a soul perspective. So please get a hold of Patrick's book and do come back next week when Samuel Adams does return and those anti-Federalists did get it correct.